wears his heart safety pin to his backpack. His backpack is all that he knows. Shot down by strangers whose glances can cripple the heart and devour the soul. Welcome to the award-winning book podcast. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we are uh, going to be talking about tonight is a uh, runner-up for the This Is Horror Novel of the Year Award. It's um, Blackbirds by Chuck Wendig. A little bit about the author. Chuck is a novelist, screenwriter, and game designer. He is the author of Blackbirds, Double Dead, and Dino Apocalypse Now, and is co-writer of the short film Pandemic, and the feature film Him, and the Emmy-nominated digital narrative Collapsus. He lives in Pennsylvania with his wife, Taco Terrier, and Tiny Human. Notice anything missing from that uh, bio? Um, no, I, I I didn't, actually. Well, we'll probably bring it up eventually, but it doesn't mention the follow-up to Blackbirds, which is called Mockingbird. Very, very true. Now, you did mention that he is the... What, what was he the runner-up for? The This Is Horror Novel of the Year Award. Oh, that's wait, that's the same set of awards that we won podcast of the year on, right? Yeah, same awards. Yeah. He just, okay, got it. Cool. He he was he wasn't he wasn't up for podcast of the year because he wrote a book. Well it's a good thing he doesn't have a podcast because, you know, we the last thing we need is more competition. Yeah. We're bitterly jealous about those types of things. We are, well, I am. You're not. You don't care. It's just me. I'm the one that has the issue with it. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, let's talk a little bit about uh about our book. Here is the Amazon.com synopsis for Blackbirds. Miriam Black knows when you will die. Still in her early 20s, she's foreseen hundreds of car crashes, heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and slow deaths by cancer. But when Miriam hitches a ride with truck driver Lewis Darling and shakes his hand, she sees that in 30 days, Lewis will be gruesomely murdered while he calls her name. Miriam has given up trying to save people. That only makes their deaths happen. But Lewis will die because he met her and she will be the next victim. No matter what she does, she can't save Lewis, but if she wants to stay alive, she'll have to try. Dude, that synopsis would sell me. I mean, it's such a good synopsis. Like, it really pulls you into the idea. Agreed. Can I just say that, and this goes back to, um, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s, that I read Interview with a Vampire, and uh, now every time I see the name Lewis, I think it's Louis. Because then I saw the movies, and in my head, he was always Lewis. Yeah. Till I saw that movie, and I was like, oh my god, I read like six of those books, and I kept referring to him as Lewis in my head. And now every time I saw it in here, I want to call him Louis. Let's just call him Louis. What the hell? Louis? Sure. You can call him sure. Louis. It's kind of yeah. weird for a truck driver, though. Louis? Well, Louis no. Okay. Well, I mean, like, if he was like a short, like balding, heavy guy, calling him Louis would be fine, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's okay. true. Maybe it's Louis. Maybe he's French. He, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll roll with that. I'm going to go with Louis, but I, I I'm not going to promise that I won't. Might I might accidentally say Lewis at some point during the, the review. Let's let's address uh let's address something uh, really important before we forget. Let's talk about this cover. Yeah, I was going to do the same thing. We can't get very far without talking about this cover. So we're gonna do uh we're gonna do the description for the folks. The uh, theater of the mind. Yeah. All right. So it is a uh, it's a white cover. Um, it has blackbirds in red and has Chuck Wendig's name on it. But there is a woman on there that's all uh, um, God, I don't know, it's like drawn just in like black lines. Does that make sense? Like it's I don't know what would you call this type of art? Uh, hang on, I'm pulling up a good picture of the 
I mean, it looks like it's just like not necessarily pencil drawn, but like you know, mm-hmm. yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, a two tone so, thing, just black and mm-hmm. white. But her hair is exploding into like a thousand birds. Yeah. And then if you look really, really closely inside, are all kinds of little things like skulls and eyeballs, and there's like a little hand and top it's of a, a lighthouse. Very, very, very cool cover. Hey, that is a lighthouse. Yeah, uh, a highway road sign. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, there is a lot. I've never, I never really zoomed in on this, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, a hand, lots of birds, obviously. Yeah. yeah, that is pretty cool. That is very cool. An awesome cover, probably one of the best covers we've seen. Yeah, I and mean, for it, eye catching and really, you know. I've always had the. I've always been of the opinion that, as far as colors that grab the eye, if you do a combination of white, black, and red. Um, you really can't go wrong, and this is definitely, yeah, this definitely works. Hey, what's black and white and red all over? <sighs> what I don't know. That's a news newspaper. Uh, I thought you were gonna. It's yeah. like a Bazooka Joe bubblegum thing. Wow! So this uh, this review is getting off to it. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent start. I just want to say, and this is the spoiler alert, I was very disappointed when Miriam's head did not explode into a thousand birds any, at any point in the story after seeing that cover. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping it was, yeah. Maybe as a bonus chapter or something. No. All right. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about Miriam. So I think the one thing that the synopsis maybe doesn't quite accurately grab about her is uh, is her personality. So she's got this really bleak power, but um, gosh, she's just like this filthy mouthed smartass. Yeah, she's really tough and like uh, uh, I, I'd say like rebellious is one of the words that like really comes to mind, and it's like she seems to just kind of rebel against everything, you know. The opening chapter is a nice little uh, nice little window into into her life, and and I'm going to talk a little bit about the first chapter because I thought it was such a great setup for the rest of the story. She's in a hotel room. Um, you really don't know a whole lot about her, obviously, at this point. Um, but a guy's getting ready to pay her to have sex with her, and you know she's kind of playing along. And then she says, "Okay, listen, we're not doing this anymore." And the guy starts basically having a heart attack. Right? Was it a heart attack that he had? No, uh, seizure. A seizure. So she kind of recounts to him some of the terrible things in his life, and it turns out she's been following for weeks, knowing the exact moment that he was going to die. So she feels very safe being in this situation and being able to kind of like call him out on his shit before he drops dead yeah <laughs> and that's yeah and that's how we figure out that um you know from there a she's just kind of a badass and then you know she's kind of just wandering from place to place she's just doesn't have any one home she just travels um you know by hitchhiking or on the highway and stuff like that and encounters people who you know when she touches them she gets a flash of how they they will die eventually. Yeah, and it's very very specific. So she knows the date, the time, and she's kind of like a just a you know, third party, you know, there like just a bystander watching what's going on. So in some cases, which becomes important later, she actually takes cues from. And this is also revealed very early in the book in the first chapter. You know, she'll take cues to know exactly when things are going to happen, which I thought was a very uh, a very interesting tactic to use throughout the book. Yeah, and so she lives this kind of nomadic life where um, when she can, if she knows someone's going to die, 
um, she kind of hangs around and, and takes their, you know, takes their cash and credit cards and stuff. So she lives on the money that she kind of scavenges from these people who she knows they are going to die. She doesn't kill anybody. Um, but yeah, the ability just lets her know when they're going to die and she hangs around and, uh, you know, kind of takes advantage of that a little bit. All right. So a good portion of the rest of the story is described in the synopsis. She meets a uh, truck driver, Louie. Who, uh, who she likes and, and he's you know j- just generally kind to her and stuff but she winds up seeing that um, not only is he gonna die but that uh, she he's calling her name that she is somehow an integral part of his death and this really really upsets her because up until this point um, I don't necessarily know that she's been you know the cause of, of anybody's death yeah so that freaks her out and she tries to put distance between her and him and in the process of that she runs into this other guy at a bar while she's just kind of trying to drink herself unconscious more or less. And, um, so essentially there's like kind of two major male counterparts in the book aside from the, you know, the main bad guy. And the other one besides Louie is, uh, this dude named Ashley who after she leaves Louie on the side of the road, um, she goes to a bar and starts kind of like drinking herself into a stupor and he just happens to wander in and uh, starts talking to her and they get in kind of, they start some trouble at the bar and, and end up kind of having to escape out of the bar after causing this huge bar fight together. And that's how they, they start to, I guess that's how they meet. Yeah. I'm reading that scene. I'm just reminded of every time you and I are in a bar, it ends almost exactly the same way. <laughs> yes, and in addition to starting bar fights and stuff, I skip out on the bill. Yes, there's that part. Well, that was the bar fight part. Is that we're all trying to beat the crap out of you for skipping out on the bill. So uh, it's more of an internal so, struggle, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that from there, uh, the the book takes off. Um, yeah, it's like I don't want to say. It's like I don't even want to say anything more about the story at this point. Like, yeah, it just kind of needs to unfold the way it does. But um, yeah, Miriam struggles with with this this curse basically that that you know i don't want to say it's just we cursed her you know or, or anything but you know this thing that she has to live with and like and, a horrible gift yeah and there's she's she's pretty much fed up with it she's tired of living like this for 10 12 years whatever it is at this point that she can't even come into physical contact with someone and it's only the first time <clears throat> but i'm thinking that kind of throws off the relationship a little bit yeah so, so there's yeah there's so there's the beginning of the book is really set up for when everything kind of gets out of control. Uh, um, yeah, her meeting up with Louis and then seeing that there's like a, a you know, a, a really gruesome his his really gruesome death is tied to her, and um, and then meeting up with Ashley who's just like the terrible bad influence on her kind of thing. Um, that's really just the build up to when the story gets really interesting. And it's essentially her trying to um, avoid the fate of, of being the reason that this guy Louie gets cur- like gruesomely killed, um, and, and like her, she's the reason for it. So um, that's really the, her whole drive throughout the entire book is just trying to get away from something like that happening and everything that happens against her to you know kind of push her toward that fate. So we do meet a few more characters. There's another storyline that surrounds the, you know, mostly the Ashley character. 
uh, and therefore pulling Miriam into it too of the you know, kind of like crime boss and his henchmen that that uh, become involved in this whole situation. And that was kind of interesting because there's a really great dynamic between the the henchmen, as I'll refer to him as uh, this this kind of short, stout woman, this tall, skinny guy. It's a really good dynamic between them that I thought was pretty interesting too. Yeah, kind of like uh, that that couple of thugs that were uh, that we read when we read uh, Frank Sinatra and a Blender. We we really enjoyed those guys for similar reasons. It was just you know they're kind of the muscle and everything, so they're secondary or tertiary characters, but they just have such a good dynamic that they they had they added a good flavor to the story. Yeah, I I agree. Um, talk a little bit about stylistically the the way this this um, the book is actually written. So the majority of it is kind of like a omnipotent narrator, but then mm-hmm. there are times where like the perspective shifts. So the book stays with with Miriam for for you know obviously the vast majority of it, but there are times where a there are little what Wendig likes to call interludes. Did we we didn't we didn't go ahead and get a patent on that, did we? No, I was thinking that too when I was reading <laughs> this. I was like, man, we could be getting some money off of this. So most, if not all, of the interludes um, go back to an interview that Miriam is doing for a, like a local newspaper or zine or some, something that she's doing. And that kind of gives us a little bit of her history. But then there are times where each one of these characters, not all of them, but they have their own backstory yeah. that gets told in like a first person from the that person's story. Like it's done very weird, just kind of like a weird up and down kind of yeah. rhythm to it. Yeah, like certain interludes will say Harriet's story. Harriet's one of the the thug people, and and, mm-hmm. and then you kind of get a backstory on her and that type of thing. Yeah, so interesting, but uh, kind of a weird design. I think some yeah. design elements were a little odd there for the story. But in a way where I mean, I didn't find it disruptive at all. Like sometimes you think people yeah. do something that's like a stylistic choice that I just completely disagree with because it doesn't, you know, help the book at all. But this was smooth. I didn't have any trouble with it. I liked it. It was just very interesting, odd choice to make. You know, I, I thought it worked really well. For some reason, it reminded me a little bit of the style of Savages, which mm. I read a while back. I know we mentioned here on the show once or twice, but yeah. So for some, I don't know what it was about it. I'd have to go back and reread Savages, I guess. But it did remind me a little bit stylistically of that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I hadn't read it, but I'll yeah. take your word for it. Yeah, and really, all right, so, I mean... That's, I mean, we've we've talked probably as much as we can about what happens in the story, um, you know, to get to a comfortable point before we start, you know, ruining the story for you. So I don't know how much farther we're gonna be able to talk about that, but yeah, but yeah, unless you wanted to talk more about like, uh, um, just kind of some more, you know, uh, style or anything like that, I I think that quotes are gonna serve us well to give a good uh, a good account of how the book goes. They always seem to do that. Can I go first? <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right. This is from very, very early on in the book here. God damn, he says, you love to hear yourself talk, don't you? I do. She does. The narrator, like, kicking in at the end. The I do, <laughs> she does. I thought it was, uh, you know, like one of the stylistic choices made that that happens, you know, throughout the course of the book a little bit where the the narrator it's a little bit of a personal touch, probably more so than your narrator should. Typically, I mean, it works well in this book, but if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'll agree with that. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to throw out what I originally highlighted one sentence of a paragraph, but I think I might just go for the whole thing. 
All right, so uh, this is a conversation that Miriam is having with um, what we see in the first chapter is the first person that she's there for their death, the guy that we mentioned earlier who has the uh, the seizure. And uh, <laughs> this is her talking to the guy while he's having his seizure and dying. This is your destiny to choke on your own mouth meats, to expire in this God-fucked motel in the middle of Hell's Half Acre. I'd do something if I could, but I can't. Were I to put that the wallet under your tongue, I'd probably only push your tongue in deeper. See, my mother used to say, Miriam, it is what it is. And this is that. That's yeah, pretty cool. It was a nice, I mean, like, it, the, that first chapter, that beginning, that first mm-hmm. encounter with another person was just such a great snapshot of kind of the range of, of the way that she is from, like, her most heartless to, like, you know, some of her more, like, you know, actual, like, human emotional type, you know, aspects of her personality, I think. Yeah, I'm also gonna, uh, I wanted to get off of this first chapter, because I'm, I'm still in it with the quotes, <laughs> but I thought this was a good example of, like, almost what you said there about Miriam's mom, and, and her saying, you know, it is what it is, like, these little sayings or these little insights, and they're prevalent throughout the book, but this is one I liked, and it's really the, <clears throat> it's really the last sentence, but I have to kind of set this up for you. She is talking to this John, um, in the in the motel, and she's referring to others, pictures of his wife and kids in the glove box, and says, doesn't seem like the kind of thing a good husband or daddy would do, but what do I know? Then again, maybe that's why you hide them all the way in the glove compartment. It's like a mirror. If you can't see them, they can't see you. Yeah, definitely like that a lot. Yeah. I have the feeling that, Livius, you and I are going to have a lot of the same quotes because um, there's some really, really good stuff in here. That's whoever gets to them first then, buddy. Oh, challenge accepted. Here's my next one. <laughs> uh, this is actually during the sort of interview parts of the interlude where she's explaining her gift and how it works to uh, uh, the, the interviewer. And they're talking about the, the mechanics of how it works, skin on skin and everything like that, and um, and what she sees and, and, and all of that type of stuff. And uh, just a nice, short, sweet little thing at the end. It's all elbows, Paul. Death and elbows. Just she like just jostle into someone like when they're walking past or something and not even trying to, but she'll kind of, you know, make contact and then see how they die. Which I have to imagine would be pretty disturbing if I had to see that all the time. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Pretty pretty quickly, I'd imagine you'd uh, you'd learn how to avoid contact, physical contact with people if you were constantly seeing how they died. Be honest. Were you reading this and you tried to touch like four different people just to see if you could do it? Uh, no, see, typically I just read things through in one one reading. So by the time you know, I was even halfway through the book. It's the middle of the night. I'm in you know by myself, so I didn't have anybody. I tried bumping up against myself, but it didn't work. Oh, this is the horrible <laughs> visions you inspire. Um, Miriam runs into a little bit of trouble on the road, and uh, just again, just this wordy. I mean, this Wendy. I, I want to keep giving Miriam credit for this. I remember that there's a guy that wrote it. So, um, she says, last warning, she says, you see the black eye and you think I'm good to go, but sometimes a girl lets herself get hit for all kinds of complicated reasons. I won't let that happen again tonight. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next one is at the introduction of the two thug people, Harriet and Frankie. 
And um, this is a description of a really rundown town or city that they're driving through to, to go to somebody's house. A black Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra with Florida plates slides down the streets and alleys. The roads, a drunken spider's web of cracks meeting at pothole junctures. The whole town calls to mind a lunar landscape, gray, cratered, dust blown. The car rumbles past house after house whose windows are half-lidded eyes, whose porches and doors are forever yawning. Many look empty. Others appear occupied, but only by the dying or the living dead. Tell me that's not a fucking incredible paragraph. That's some really, really good shit right there. <laughs> yeah. This is a very enjoyable book to read. And and not only is it well written, but it's it's funny enough to make you chuckle. So, um, My next quote is for also from the uh, interview interludes. Uh, she's explaining to, to Paul, the interviewer, kind of, uh, well, I guess it's kind of self-explanatory. I see a chick's head explode in the parking lot of McDonald's with street signs at the corner of Asshole Boulevard and Shipbird Lane, and she's wearing a Don't Mess with Texas t-shirt. Then I can use my Sherlock Holmesian deductive reasoning to figure out that pesky riddle, or I just use Google. I fucking love Google. <laughs> yeah, that was good stuff. Mm-hmm. Next one I have is is kind of a nice contrast to that very... Um, I don't know, very colorful, kind of beautifully written paragraph about this this down-and-out town. Uh, this is a description of being at the Waffle House. Waffle House, a staple of the American South, is essentially a greasy yellow coffin. It's small. It's boxy. Half the people inside are little more than animated corpses, stuffing their mouths full of hash browns and sausages at the re- and the requisite waffles. Their bodies bloating and swelling, their hearts dying. Miriam thinks it's awesome. She eats here because it's just one more nail in the old pine box. She can hear her arteries clogging. Crunchy and crispy like the skin on fried chicken. See, we were at a Waffle House. I got none of that from Waffle House. (laughs) You didn't think it was awesome? I did think it was awesome. I just didn't get that yellow coffin description. I don't know. We should have had Chuck Wendig with us. We probably would have had a much better time at the Waffle House. Oh, did you just hurt the feelings of all the people you spend time with in the Waffle House? Jet Airs, I apologize. Oh, Jet, I no. apologize <laughs> on behalf of my co-host. I had a great time. Apparently, Rob, not so much. Well, obviously, I was talking about the time that it was just you and I at a Waffle House. I don't remember that time. <clears throat> Olivia's. <laughs> <laughs> just do a quote. It starts with my mother, Miriam says. Boys get fucked up by their fathers, right? That's why so many tales are really daddy issue stories at their core, because men run the world, and men get to tell their stories first. If women told most of the stories, though, then all the best stories would be about mommy problems. Trust me on this. Daddies are great for little girls, unless they're diddle daddies. Mommies, though, that's a whole other bag of anger. Yep, I was just going to do that one. You can do the other one. I know we have another one in common, so... Well, I did one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, really quick, I'm not going to explain the uh, the setup for this just because I want people to imagine what's going on in this scene. Uh, the saw moves. It eats with metal teeth. That's one of the ones where like you'll appreciate it way more when you read the book and you're like, oh. this Yeah, this book is... Um it's very, very gruesome and very troubling in parts in some of the descriptions. And although 
this isn't the passage I really wanted to indicate that kind of made me shudder. The other one is a little too, um, it's too spoilery. It's kind of late in the story. So and I'm also going to edit this out a little bit. So um, Boyle, so he's referring to hands in, in this part, the, the person who's saying this. Boil them till the meat falls off like osobuco. Once you have the bones free from the meat, bleach them, purify them with sage smoke, then give them to me. I will choose which ones, if any, belong in my satchel. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Boiling skin and meat off of hands. Yeah. Here's another. I just like this. This is a good imagery for for kind of a gross scene. Streaks of dried blood. The mascara of a weepy girl mar his cheeks. Like you can immediately imagine exactly what that looks like. I love that. Yeah, more. Um. Yeah. Everything I've got feels very, very spoilery. Oh, I've got I've got one I can do. Okay. She has no specific scenario in mind because it feels smarter that way, like she's surprising fate, sneaking up on it with tiny footsteps. It's the same reason she never comes out and says it in the book. If she never says it aloud, never writes it down, fate can't know. She's talking about just dodging fate, or trying to anyway. Yeah. Um, I've got one more, and with the permission of Livius, essentially this is... Um, at one point, there's an interlude where we look at kind of the main evil guy who we haven't mentioned at all yet because he's the main evil guy, and we don't want to spoil <laughs> the story. Uh, but we do get a little backstory on him of when he was younger. And um, so I don't think this is really going to affect the story at all because it has nothing plot-wise to influence anything else. Uh, but there's a part where he's explaining how when he was a child, he was bullied and um, by a, a large Jewish kid. And um, <laughs> when he was... <laughs> When he was bullied, uh, the Jewish kid said he hated him because he was German and called him a fucking Nazi, And um, even though he wasn't German. And he says, I am Dutch, I would tell him. Dutch. Now that stood out. Uh, any ideas why that stood out to me, Livius? Um, you know, I only know one one even reference ever made to the Dutch on, on this podcast, at least, and that's our, our Dutch correspondent. Malaz Corbier, so... <laughs> in all uh, that I can that I can think of anyway to be fair it, there may have been something but that I can think of I don't think we've had any other characters that were from the Netherlands or that were Dutch in any of the books that we've reviewed so far am I right um I believe you are correct but you know now that we're talking about it I always thought that Malaz guy was German oh see so now that's what I'm saying like the first time we encounter a character from his native land main bad guy big evil the big evil oh I'm not trying to Malaz. boiling boiling meat off of hands <laughs> uh, yeah i'm looking forward to meeting him soon try to keep my fingers out of his satchel <laughs> although uh, yeah yeah so I, i'm i'm done with quotes yeah that's it for me too i wanted to end the whole thing with like a a very very vague indictment of the character of Malaz corbier <laughs> that he had no control over <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say that sometimes you read something in a book that's so um, I don't even know how to explain it. There's a little portion there, and for some reason, it's not highlighted. I think I was so blown away by it that I just forgot to, you know, do the highlighting motion with my finger. <laughs> but he talks a little bit. Well, Miriam talks a little bit about fate and fatality, and I've never really thought about those two words having the same root. And basically, that everybody's fate is to die. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Like, mm. I don't know that I'll ever hear the word fatality or fate without thinking about that again. Yeah, and that's a, yeah, now for sure. But that's, yeah, that's one of the, I mean, that's kind of like, aside from all the crazy, crimey stuff that happens in the book, that's really the thing is just like the idea of we're all fated to die we, and it, and there's no escaping it. So that's like the overarching feel of the whole book. And, um, you know, in a, in a book that he didn't necessarily need to go to a deeper meaning or a more, you know, thought provoking notion that the, the story itself carries it. It's, it's nice to have something like that kind of prod you about, you know, you know, are we fated or is there a way that we can change our fate and stuff like that? Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. All right. So what do you say we uh, wrap it up and give it a rating? Um, would you like for me to go first? I would love for you to go first. All right. Um, so we reviewed this um, based on the fact that it was the This Is Horror runner-up for Novel of the Year runner-up to The Last Final Girl, which we had already reviewed on the show. So we went back a little farther than we normally do. This book's probably, what, 10 months old, I think? It's from last April? Yeah. Sound right? Yep. Yeah. So I got to tell you, I'm absolutely thrilled that we decided to do this. Um, a great story. The, the the wonderful thing about this story, and, and this isn't something that really came up as we were talking about the story, oddly enough, but you have the very distinct feeling that, you know, one of the final scenes is going to be the vision that Miriam has all the way back in Chapter 2 or whatever it is, you know, of, of Lewis, you know, being being murdered while in calling her name out. And I'm going to give it away now. The book delivers that, you know, that scene. So in your mind, you're like kind of playing like, how do we get from here to there with some of the things that happen in the book? So I thought that was uh, it was a great way to keep the reader very, very engaged and and turning pages as quickly as you could get through them. Um, The book was was very, very funny. It was definitely my sense of humor. I know a lot of times that Rob and I, not so much on the show, we have this conversation where he'll say, I saw this movie, it was funny, and I go, that's just not my thing. This is my thing. Miriam Black is my thing. That's that's what I find humorous. So um, a very uh, creative story, um, really well-paced, funny, um, educational in some ways. Like I said, just that whole thing about fate and fatality was enough to, to keep this book in mind for a long, long time. I'm just going to give it five five goddamn stars. Ooh, wow. There it is. <clears throat> there it is. <sighs> there it is. So, all right, so here's what I got to say about this book. Okay, so going into this book, yeah, um, first of all, very glad that uh, it was Livius's idea to do this as our next uh, book, and yeah, it was, it was a very good choice. Um, what I dug about this book is uh, it's tough to find a book that's got a strong female character that doesn't, like, make excuses for why this particular female character is actually strong. Um, just a great character. Just a great character for, you know, to, to, to lead this book and, and to have this weird gift bestowed upon her. And all the characters in general really worked very well. Um, the story, as much... <laughs> The story, too, was a little bit interesting because at times I was like, it wasn't like a consistent feeling where I was always like, every page I turned, it was like, this is such an incredible book. At some points, I was worried that it was like going to go in kind of a cheesy direction or a predictable direction. At other times, I was like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. And then, you know, and then other times I was just like really just along for the ride. So um, that inconsistency wasn't a bad thing, though. It was a cool thing because 
it never let me figure out what was going on. And a book that's about fate and a book that, you know, essentially from the beginning, like Livia said, you pretty much know what you're going to see toward the end or at least somewhere in the middle. I was left guessing the whole time. So uh, that was very nice. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it worked very, very well. And I think it I think it enhanced my experience of the book for sure. Um, like I said, just dug the story overall like the overall concept he had with the whole idea of fate and um, and how knowing what's going to come about in the future uh, plays with your mind and also affects your motivation. Um, so yeah, there's just... <laughs> so, there's really just nothing to not like about this book. Um, I could go on and on about all the different things. And it's definitely one of those books where when we put it down in, in basic terms... You don't understand how good of a book it is. Saying the quotes and stuffs will help because you can kind of get more of a feel of, of, um, the like the flavor of the book and everything. But it's actually reading it and seeing all these the way that all these elements play against each other. That's that's what makes the book so good. So, I am going to go with Livius. We're gonna do, we're gonna do five stars for this one. It has been a good year so far for book ratings, man. <laughs> we're getting 2013 is uh, we're getting really good books. <laughs> we are. I think that I'm gonna have to start picking some really shitty ones for us, like known shitty. Like I'm pretty sure we're gonna hate this. Let's review this next week. Yeah. Can we talk about something else for a second? And I'm, I'm gonna yeah. approach this conversation very hesitantly because when we were nominated for this is horrors podcast of the year, I didn't feel we really did a lot of horror. It took you to point out. You know, the, the werewolf books, the the zombie stuff, whatever. Did you feel this was horror? Um, on the fence about that. I, I could see why you would think it wasn't. Um, but there were some really goddamn creepy moments and some pretty gruesome moments. Okay. I, uh, it's interesting because earlier today I pulled up the Amazon.com page for it. Well, earlier before we started the show to look at the cover. And I, I said to you when I started reading, I was like... I'm not really getting horror from this. It's more urban fantasy, and it's funny because at the bottom of the Amazon <laughs> synopsis, it says "file under urban fantasy." <laughs> so, so that's funny go. because at the bottom of the synopsis, it said that, and I was like, "Oh, that's probably where he got that from." When he said, "It's more yeah, like no, I was thinking of, I didn't even yeah, I didn't see it the first time around when I picked it up, but yeah, so, um, but then Rob, so okay, so here's what happened. <laughs> this is how much I like this book. Now that we've given away the five star rating. I finished it within five minutes already and purchased Mockingbird and started reading it while I was on lunch. Yeah. So, like, there was no hesitation. I finished it. I sent Rob a message letting him know I finished it, went into my Kindle, went back to Amazon, and pulled the trigger on Mockingbird. Then Rob has this brilliant idea today. Is you know, we've never really done this, like, back-to-back like this, but how about we review Mockingbird for the next episode? Yeah, I think it works perfectly. Like... We're in a rare situation where, because of the circumstances of why we chose to review the book, you know, we read a book that's older than necessary, so its its sequel is, is ready to go. It came out, I think, what, August or September of last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they came out like six months apart or whatever, so I think it makes perfect sense. We, we dug this book a lot. Might as well just continue on with it. And it gives our listeners a chance to, to kind of get a feel for the, the, the more the longer story. Listeners, you need to get to Amazon, buy Blackbirds, read it before next week, because next week we're going to talk about Mockingbird. Yeah, and you know what this tells me? Um, so far, of what we've talked about, at least on the podcast, 
This is Horrors Awards for 2012 included us as podcast of the year. Um, and Stephen Graham Jones' Last Final Girl is, is novel of the year, and this book is the runner-up to that. I mean, all excellent choices. Like, I'm really, you know, that's a lot of credibility that's lent toward This is Horror for having such good choices for their for their awards. Yeah, I'm going to tack on to that. That last episode I mentioned that I was going to listen to the latest episode of Tales to Terrify, and I did. Um, and although, all right, I'll have to admit, I was really terrified. I also was in a brightly lit area for the hour and a half I listened. So, <laughs> But um, I do have to say that they have, they have an interesting show. So, um, so the format, um, at least for this particular episode, was Lauren Santoro, the host, came on. And you were right. He does have just this great kind of like creepy voice. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I say almost like Vincent Price-ish, but like more modern, <laughs> less accent kind of, you know. Right, um, but kind of a classically trained kind of feel to it. Yes, and then um, hear these two cats come on, not come on, it was pre-recorded, but uh, and talk about, and this was a really interesting conversation, it was a little dated for, for my taste particularly, but because I was familiar with the subject matter, they talked about Let the Right One In, Let Me In, and the book, Let Me In, the, the whole, right. the, the two movies and the book, and they kind of did a comparison that was really interesting, and they followed it up. With and I don't remember the the narrator's name that did the story. It was a, just kind of guy who does voiceover work or you know does that type of reading. But he uh, pretty pretty good pretty good tale of this sheriff and a, a serial killer he's tracking down and this help he gets from these uh, from these five women that can kind of like see things. Just really interesting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep uh, I'm gonna keep downloading some of those and listening to them when I have a chance. But I gotta tell you, my first uh, my first outing with uh, Tales to Terrify was a was a good one. Did uh, did you catch that the um, the connection? We had we had a message from uh, from someone recently that that revealed a connection to Lauren Santoro that we didn't re- that that we didn't know before we started talking about him. Would you like to do the the glorious reveal, or should I? Um, no, that to- totally you on this one. All right, so uh, booked favorite and author of Strangeness in the Proportion, Joshua Deach. Uh, recently sent us a message just saying, hey, you know, congratulations for the uh, award you got and everything. And it's a funny thing. Uh, he So Josh Deach, like uh, like us, he's originally from Chicago, but he's living in Montreal right now. Uh, but when he was in Chicago, he participated regularly in a, uh, a reading series that happened in Chicago. And um, and uh, it was something that, that Lauren Santoro also participated in, so... Josh knows this guy going way back, and so we're really tight with Josh, and now Lawrence is on our radar as well in Tales of Terrify, so it's just an interesting kind of small world coincidence kind of thing. It's very hard for me not to start singing that song as you were doing that, like humming it in the background. What song? It's a small world. Oh, man, really? Yeah. A little bit. (sighs) (laughs) So, yeah, I did nothing but listen to podcasts this week, so I also want to mention that uh, This Is Horror had their debut their debut podcast um, earlier in the week and uh, they talked about a movie um, which isn't really so much my thing as listeners of the show know as I apparently don't watch any movies um, but they had a really really good in-depth conversation about uh, about a horror film and then they had the director of the horror film on who apparently is the director of Boxing Helena have you ever seen Boxing Helena? I have not oh dude you gotta see Boxing Helena it's from like I don't know like the early 90s maybe does it this take is, part on the uh, day after Christmas? 
No, dude. Do you remember when I said something about just putting people in a box? <laughs> we were talking about that. It's more like that than like the Boxing Day thing. All right. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Michael Wilson and uh, I didn't catch. I, I did catch their names, but it was like five days ago, and of course I took zero notes on this to talk about on the show. But um, if you're into, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see where they go from this. Uh, movies really aren't my thing, but I thought they did a really solid job of discussing uh, the film. But her father is the guy who did. This is how much I know about movies. Her father's the guy who did that uh, that Twin Peaks show. David Lynch. Yes. Really. Yep. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, it's Kel- Kelly Lynch, I think it was. Nice. Probably, yeah, I'm assuming you probably got the last name right. Something. Yes, I did. No, they talked a lot about, the, when they were reviewing the movie, they were talking about like some elements that were very David Lynch and how they were wondering if she was trying to get out from under that or, you know. Mm, so. Yeah. But yes, that's, uh, so yeah, no, those guys did a, those guys did a pretty bang-up job. I'm hoping they talk some books. That would be interesting. Well, that's funny because you really don't like people stepping on our territory, so it's interesting to hear that from you. They're in another country, yeah, so it's that's cool. True. Yeah, there's probably some tariffs or treaties or something. Listen, you know. listen, Craig Wahlberg is the only person in, in in all of like Great Britain that listens to us, and he's not going <laughs> to give us up for those guys. So, <laughs> oh, that's good. We have our UK. That's audience all I'm saying. Down. So, yeah. Before we get off of this as horror, one other thing I want to point out: we had we had uh, in the last few episodes pointed out that we hadn't heard anything from um, Pseudopod, who we thought were uh, who who the whole time we were they were the ones that we were sure we were going to lose this award to. And I just want to say that Alice Dare Stewart, uh, who is the the head guy over at Pseudopod, and he also contributes to Drabblecast, which I know we've mentioned on the podcast before, as being a good podcast to listen to. Um, he congratulated us, and he congratulated Tales to Terrify on Twitter recently. So it was very nice. He just uh, he congratulated us and everything, and wanted to make sure we shouted him out because we kept saying that he hadn't said anything about it. So uh, thanks, Alice Dear Stewart, for the the kind words. There were far fewer tears than I expected. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> on the whole thing. Yeah, apparently it takes more than uh, a, a podcast of the year award to phase um, the <laughs> epic and mighty pseudopod. Oh, uh, Pseudopod does their stuff, and I've been kidding them a lot since this thing started. But um, what they do is 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 pretty terrific. So, uh, but yes, thank you, Mr. Stewart, of Pseudopod and of Drabblecast and of like another one. Like all that guy does is podcasts. He's yeah, and, and that's the thing. Biking. Like, like yeah, all of, all the time we were talking about Pseudo, Pseudopod being the one that was going to beat us out. It's because we like legitimately respect what they do. So none of that mm-hmm. was sarcasm. It was actually real. Yes, that's very, very true. Yeah, that's that's, that's like a conversation between me and Rob. Like, hey, we're nominated, we're nominated, we're all excited. I go, dude, we're also nominated with Pseudopod. Fuck. Like, that's it. Like, that was it. That was the end of that. There's no way. Then he's there's pulling no out. Way. He's pulling the tire iron out of the back of his car. And that's right. Yep. Pulls out his his uh, Atlas, and he's trying to find out where to go. Yeah. <sighs> atlas. Yeah, it was an Atlas. All right. Hey, one more thing, and this yeah. is just something I'm kind of working on behind the scenes. I think we might be able to put something together with a. Uh, with Mr. Wilson of uh, of This Is Horror, some type of horror episode, working on it. Yeah, we've talked about before, these guys are a great resource in horror, and we've really liked to do stuff like those intro two episodes where we give a more comprehensive view on, on specific topics, and I think that they'd be a great resource for that, so hopefully Livius will be able to wheel and deal them into uh, to coming on to the podcast a little bit. I'm going to do my best. If not, the backup is... Um, is is uh, vampire eroticism, vampire erotica. 
that's the backup if we don't do an intro to horror. <laughs> not not vampire cars. Not vampire cars. Not vampire cars. Alright. <laughs> no Sferatu. Vampire beam. <sighs> Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, what else do we have? Uh, We do have some anthology news. You want to talk about that? Um, Sure. So, last week we very kind of quietly didn't really say much about the anthology, right? Yeah. We were just hoping nobody would notice. Yeah. So, um, here's why we were nailing down uh, one final, final submission for the anthology. So, now we can officially say that that the, the doors are closed, everything is in place. We're doing some kind of behind-the-scenes work on it, but it's it's kind of a done deal right now. Yeah, we've 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 locked everything down. All the little details are pulled together, and it's really just a matter of like you know tying the bow and getting like all the little special things in in order. But all the stories are locked in. All the authors who are contributing are accounted for. I'll let you. I'm gonna let you announce this final author who we haven't talked about yet. All right, so the final addition to the booked anthology is Craig Clevenger. That's I don't right. even know how to build that up any more than just to say it, so there it is. Craig Clevenger. So that puts us at a total of 25 authors, um, mm-hmm. 25 stories for the book. A lot of authors, a lot of stories. Yes, 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 yes. Very good stories, too. Very excited. And I want to say Can... that uh, Clevenger, we probably <laughs> The poor man. We probably could have talked about this a little bit sooner, but over the last few months, I mean, you know, it's just been like a lot of stuff going on with him. And so we've had lots of emails back and forth about, you know, you know, like I just felt bad pushing him to like meet a deadline because he had so much stuff going on with uh, his personal life and everything. So and just regular life and invading into, you know, daily free time. So glad we glad we closed the book on that and we don't have to politely nudge him we could stop harassing the guy exactly (laughs) just let him live his damn life (laughs) oh rob rob at one point was like get the tire iron out i'm buying you a ticket to san francisco (laughs) let me borrow your rob rob stop (laughs) wait no he's a friend calm down this isn't over this is clevenger this is a pseudopod calm down uh, but uh yeah now rob also is going to (laughs) make a little bit of a correction in some some uh, news that's been circulating uh, the likes of Facebook regarding our anthology. Yeah, so um, more or less, um, in, in, recently I changed the uh, cover photo that I have for my personal Facebook page um, to to kind of a thing that says the booked anthology. It's like an image. It's got it says the booked anthology, and it's got a little image of a of a microphone on there. And when when I changed it to that, I classed up. The, uh, I had I had a different thing that was just some words on there, and I classed it up with uh, this new font and the and the little microphone image and everything. It sparked some wild speculation that this might be the uh, what the cover is going to look like for for the for the anthology. So I just want to say right now, what you see on my Facebook, it's also um, what we have on the anthology page for uh, the anthology on our website. Not necessarily the cover image that you're going to see it is artwork that we've been working with in uh cooperation with the anthology project and everything obviously but that's not necessarily what you're going to see for the actual finished cover which is uh it's going to look different than that it's going to look absolutely badass is what he meant to say (laughs) yeah um, he's just being very politically correct it's going to look so much nicer it's really um surprisingly if anything was like 
um, a heated topic of this entire anthology. The cover has been just like, it's been the thing that's driven us so close to just like each pulling a tire iron out of the back of our car and just like throwing mm-hmm. atlases at each other in a parking lot. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's going to look fantastic. We really, really dig it. Um, and I, I'm just going to go ahead and say there are some Easter egg kind of uh, elements to to the cover too. So loyal longtime listeners um, with really good memories or just no lives uh, will really enjoy some of the things we did with this cover. Yes. So we're very close to finalizing that too. So now it's like we've got everything and it's a little bit of like twist this here and tweak that there and shove this a little bit this way. And it, it's, it's done. I mean, it's, we have everything we need at this point. Yeah. That's it. That's our update on the anthology. Feels good. Feels good. Yeah. So I think that about wraps it up for tonight. Right, Rob? Anything else we need to talk I, about? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, up next week, Mockingbird, Chuck Wendig. If you need any information on this, just rewind to the beginning of the episode and start listening from the beginning, and you'll have everything you need to know about why we're reviewing Mockingbird. Also, I would like to say that this is this is how Rob feels about the podcast at this point. In our notes, it says, up next week, Mockingbird, motherfuckers. We don't care anymore. We read whatever we fucking want to. <laughs> that's private. That's, pro- that's proprietary. You're not supposed to. Yeah. I, was there a time where we actually cared? Would like, I mean, <laughs> have I been deluding myself been doing. the whole time? Has it been <laughs> like, like, have you been not caring? <sighs> well, here's the whole thing. This is basically how it works. Rob is very, very generous. Rob's like, "What are we reading next week?" And I go, "Hey, we're gonna read this book." And he's like, "All right, cool." <laughs> so I think at this point, like, you kind of picked the book, so you're like, "It's it. We don't care anymore. We're just gonna pick whatever <laughs> we want." But we've really been doing that since the very beginning. Uh. It's just that I've kind of been doing it. So. <laughs> Well, that's what I, that was my thought is like, if Livia said okay to something that I chose, we've really mm-hmm. fucking just gone off the rails. Yeah. So no, I think it's a good pick and, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, 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 you know, it's, it's February 10th, 9th, whatever. We haven't had a guest on this month yet. Have we? Nope. Not yet. We haven't. No. So maybe we'll see if we can, uh, maybe talk Mr. Wendig into coming on and talking to us and explaining himself on some of this, this blackbird mockingbird stuff. Why Miriam's head did not explode into a thousand blackbirds. That's right. So we've got questions. All right. All right. Well, until next time, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Booked, the award-winning podcast. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudger. Keep reading. Out of his mind.